We got a lot of news this week and nothing in particular. You're going to want to find out what I mean by that on this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. All right, we're back again. Episode number 157 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's well. Um, I'd love to say that we have some sort of groundbreaking news this week or that there's something major on the horizon or we have some sort of great interview or fun segment or something along those lines, uh, you know, for you today. But unfortunately, I can't because there really is nothing this week in the way of news except for a bunch of, uh, well, smaller miscellaneous type stories, some tryout news, some, uh, you know, lower level team news, uh, some fun promotions and whatnot, uh, that kind of thing. And I suppose there's also coaching staff news as well. Yeah, we're reaching that point of the year where it's essentially just player signings and, um, and whatnot. Like all the major like, off-season news isn't going to happen this close to the season. Uh, but I think the the uh, the most important thing to happen this week, of course, the MLB lockout being done. And let me just say, everyone on Nick's poll who was voting, who was saying that Atlantic League opening day would happen before the end of the MLB lockout, I actually voted the MLB lockout, and I nailed it. And me and like ten percent of the people did, and me and and the, and the minority and I were right. You know, I was really expecting to be able to come on here and go, you know, like. 8% of you, because I tweeted it out and I deleted the tweet because I realized I horribly uh, butchered the tweet because I've had words in the wrong places because I half-assed sending it. I was originally going to say something to the lines of, it's the hope that kills you to the 10% that actually think Major League Baseball is going to get their shit together. And uh, then they got it done. So it's kind of interesting how that goes. And uh, in hindsight, it did seem a little obvious because they were close to getting it done. But, you know... It's better to not have hope in those types of situations because it doesn't kill you nearly as much uh, when it falls apart. So, yeah, I, I get, I definitely get that, but at the same time, um, <clears throat> I think that just thinking like logically about it, like how oh, they were close on so many things, like are they literally going to let an international draft squabble take away from take away from another week's worth of games? Probably not. So I was I was just thinking like there's there's just got to be too much desperation and they'll make it happen. They did not that I'm not angry with them, but you know they got mm-hmm. it done. I suppose, but uh, in any event, we do actually have indie ball stuff to talk about. So I suppose we should talk about that, and then who knows? Maybe when we get to the end of this, if we're only at like say uh, 20 minutes or 25 minutes, we can do some team previews and whatnot. So, uh, with that said, I suppose we should probably get going here. Uh, we'll open up with the kind of obvious thing here, which is really the only piece of, piece of, uh, substance news, which is Lincoln has finalized their coaching staff for 2020. Uh, Brett Jody's going to return for his second year at, at the helm of the Salt Dogs. Uh, he went 53 and 47, missed the postseason by half game because they dropped their last two games to the road traveling, uh, Houston Apollos, so they missed the postseason on that, uh, so never a good thing when that happens, but the rest of the staff is going to be rounded out by Adam Donaghy, uh, a former Somerset alum, time spent with uh, Brett Jody, obviously, when he was over in Somerset as well. He's going to hold down the hitting coach job. As a player coach, we have Jason Rogers, a guy that I'm sure a lot of Atlantic League fans are familiar with, also a former major leaguer. Uh, spent some time in a handful of different Atlantic League organizations, so he'll be an interesting addition there. Definitely kind of a veteran-type presence. Interested to see how that goes. And then also a guy we had on the show, friend of the show, uh, TJ Zerowitz, also going to be on the staff as a bench coach slash the director of player development for the Salt Dogs. Obviously a long-time uh, Pecos League manager. I uh, joined midway through the last season. Uh, if you want to know more on TJ, we have an interview with him from way back about uh, two years ago, I think now uh, it would be. So uh, you can go ahead and look that up on the website itself. We'll, we'll drop links to all that. 
But uh, yeah, it's a it's a fairly well put together staff here. It looks like a couple of new faces, but by and large, more of the same. Yeah, I'm a big fan of of the staff in general. One, obviously, bringing Brett Jody back, it, it's a good decision. Like disappointing as that season was to end last year, and I will say, just you know, dropping two games to the Houston Apollo, I mean, it was one of the biggest stories of last year. And that re- in that regular season last year in Indy Ball, what the the Salt Dogs collapsed, and Jason Rogers, of course, being named as the uh, as a player coach, um, that's something I'm not surprised to see from him, just because he's been around Indy Ball for for a, a long time. Uh, he knows the Indy Ball landscape. He's obviously a really good hitter in his own right with Gastonia last year as well. Uh, so him now making the move to the American Association and Lincoln. Um, him and Brett Jody are, are, I'm sure, close, not only from their time in Somerset, but just uh, playing against each other for a lot of years in Somerset as well. So uh, Jason Rogers, really smart guy. Uh, I could I totally see him being in that player-coach role. Uh, a lot of Somerset, former Somerset blood in this, especially with, uh, with Donaghy as well, playing for quite a few years in Somerset as well. Uh, and TJ Zarowitz, again, we're seeing more and more and more in Indy Ball. It's less, uh, it's less of, it's all on the manager and it's all on the coach to, to build the roster. And you're bringing in a separate coach, uh, to kind of help with, uh, with the other parts of that. So using bench coaches and director of player procurement and director of, uh, player development. Uh, whether, so I, I would think that that's a big part of TJ Zarowitz's job here. But again, it's just a growing position. We're seeing more of and more, more and more of an indie ball. So it's less just it's on the manager a hundred percent. Yeah, it's definitely some also newer blood that's getting in there as well. Uh, we've seen that a little bit so far uh, across some of the different staffs across not only the American Association but indie ball as a whole. You see some younger guys or newer guys getting involved in that, and I think that's certainly a part of it as well. I do agree. There, you can see the Somerset influence on this. I don't necessarily think that's a bad idea, but I am going to be interested to see how that kind of translates uh, on the field. Obviously, uh, Lincoln's been one of the more, I think, quieter teams uh, so far this offseason, so they're going to have some more work to do, but they still have uh, two months before opening day, so they have plenty of time on that front there still. And uh, overall, though, I do I do like the, the staff an awful lot. Uh, Brett Jody's obviously one of the best uh, managers currently in indie ball, and you have Jason Rogers, like you mentioned, he's a longtime guy. There's the connection there. A lot of these guys are longtime guys on one level or another. So I, I also really like this staff as a whole. I will say the interesting part of this, I think, is Brett Jody. He's back, but the rest of his staff is different. Or at least not not in the case of T.J. Zara, which is because he was yeah. he, he was a total he was with the team for like half of last year, uh, but he wasn't uh, he wasn't totally with the uh, totally with the team for the full season, bringing in uh, completely new assistants as well. So um, I also find it interesting that and while it makes sense because Brett Jody was it was a pitcher, uh, just because. Uh, Brett Jody, I guess, is sort of acting as the pitching coach as well, not bringing on a pitching coach. Sometimes you see teams not bring on a hitting coach. Rarely do you see a team not bring on a pitching coach. So it seems like Brett Jody's taking on that role as well. That just that's more than just his uh, more more than just his managerial role, which is interesting. You don't see that a ton, but it makes sense because Brett Jody has experience as a pitching coach. And he was a pitcher in his own right. So this is not that big of a deal, but just a little bit of a minor thing. But something interesting to note that you don't see a ton of uh, throughout Indy Ball. I'd agree with that. But, I mean, like you said, he was a pitcher. There's others, uh, a lot of other guys on the staff here between the, the two other, three other coaches. So it does make it a little bit easier to be able to pull off a dual role like that. Plus, I mean, it, as far as not bringing guys back, he was also a late addition, if if you remember, to Lincoln last year. It was kind of like, oh, we need to hire somebody quick because we lost our guy uh, to Major League Baseball. So I, when he just kind of got dumped in there, and I believe it was April, that didn't really allow for a lot of time to rebuild the staff. He was just kind of working on the fly there. So I suppose this is just more or less a uh, 
a deal of, oh, okay, well, I'll just run this year with these guys and then next year I'll build my own staff. And I mean, if you're going to build your own staff, you're going to bring in guys you know, guys you like, and that just all this lines up with that. But yeah, I think that it's probably more of a familiarity thing um, that more, more than anything. And I wouldn't think it's a multi-year thing for, for Jody just to not have a pitching coach. Maybe it's, I wouldn't say definitely, but potentially some, he looks to bring someone on mid-year. I guess we'll have to see, but, uh, but I think overall uh, a, a pretty good staff and a lot, a lot of pretty good names there, especially especially for Atlantic League fans. Uh, lots, lots of names on that staff that, that you probably know. Definitely. And I mean, I understand that they said it was a finalized uh, coaching staff, but I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe like a player coach type situation add another one of those guys on there for a veteran uh, pitcher that kind of fills that role. That would make sense to me as well. But uh, moving on from uh, from Lincoln, we'll go to these miscellaneous uh, kind of snooze stories and everything like that, and then we'll get to some team previews this week. So we have the Ducks holding an open tryout on April the 9th at their ballpark, Fairfield Properties Ballpark, in Central Islip, New York, on Long Island. So if you want to get involved in that, we'll have a link to the full uh, description, full details, and registration link in the show notes this week. So if you're interested in that, that's where you can find it. But general notes from that tryout, it starts at 8.30 for position players, 10 o'clock for pitchers. There's drills until noon where a scrimmage starts. If you want more details, like I said, it's on the Long Island website. We'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, not really much to talk about there. It's just another tryout. Yeah, just another tryout. And uh, most teams you'll see have have those open tryouts just, you know, because they, they have to. But sometimes they get some local guys that are possibly a decent arm out of a, out of a local like Long Island, Staten Island, Queens type college or something like that. The Ducks in particular have brought guys on from that trap before, whether they stay the entire year in the roster. Well, I, I don't know about that, but, um, but yeah, just, a, just another open tryout. And maybe if I'm feeling lucky, I'll go try out myself. See, that's the kind of content we need. We need you to go to that tryout there. I think. Oh, this, wouldn't that be amazing? This is the kind of content we need. We'll get a GoPro. We'll slap it on your head and we'll see, uh, your pitch. We'll see your hit. We'll see how it goes. Oh my God! Can you imagine how funny that would be? Come on, Long Island, hook us up, make it happen. Lexington would. I'm just saying they would. Oh, Lexington definitely would. They absolutely would in a heartbeat, and they would go, "Oh, well, this is going to be good content. We'll do it for the content." Which brings, which brings us right to right to point two with Charleston, seeing as they've been busy going around the league mailing people pieces of toast. If they're willing to do that, they'd absolutely be down for a tryout idea. Yeah, that that would be oh, that'd be really fun. I don't know if the Ducks would be the one to do it. However, it would, it would be really funny. Yeah, I do want to talk about Charleston mailing toast because I just find this to be absolutely ridiculous and also the fact that uh, they've managed to turn this into a whole bit of league marketing where they mail each team a piece of toast with, you know, like the Toast Man paper in there telling them that they're, they are toast. That's the whole uh, reason behind that. But uh, it is creative. I'll give them that. Although there are way too many people actually eating that toast. And I don't even mean <laughs> that, like, from the, like, don't eat the toast type thing. I mean, genuinely, they mailed that toast out, like, over a week ago. You're eating week-old toast that's been in a box and went to the post office. I'm not sure I'd be eating that toast. Yeah, yeah, I, I would not either, uh, personally. Um, just because even though I, I do love toast, uh, I would not, I would not eat that toast. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I kind of give my, our guy, uh, Dave Martin down in Gastonia some props for that because he just straight up pulled out a jelly packet, put some jelly on that thing and started eating it. And I was just like, you know, man, I want to eat their own. Yeah, I just like, if it was, like, relatively fresh, fine. You know, it is what it is. But, uh, like I said, that's like a solid week-old piece of toast that went through the mail, and it just it doesn't seem to work for me. Uh, Not but, a fan? 
not a fan of eating week old toast. No. Uh, which is probably stale at this point because I can't imagine you can take too many precautions to keep it fresh. Uh, but that said, it is a creative marketing thing. I will say that much. It is. It's it certainly is. So I, I don't mind it. I think it's it's creative. It's funny. Oh yeah, like it, it definitely is. It definitely is uh, creative there. So I mean, I give him props for that, and it definitely does help uh, keep the off season going. That we got us talking about, it, so it's definitely a, a positive in that regard. Yeah. Th- thank you for giving us a. Uh, thank you for giving us something to talk about, uh, oh. Charleston. I know. See, they, they're they're helping the cause. You know what else helps the cause? York Revolution. Well, the ah. York Revolution helped the cause because they adopted a dog, which is pretty cool. Uh, the dog is a golden doodle. It is going to be around the park full time in 23, but I assume in 2022 it'll also be kind of generally around the park while it's training and kind of getting acclimated to the full uh, kind of job that the dog has around the ballpark. It just seems to be kind of a a ballpark dog. You know, they do the general things, you know, bring balls out to an ump, grab a bat, do like community outreach stuff. So it's training for that. It's something that's kind of fun. Ballpark dogs are always cool. Yeah, I, I love ballpark dogs. I think it's always a, uh, uh, I, I think it's always like a perfect thing because like fans love it. Or, I mean, like, I mean, if you don't love dogs, like, what are you doing? Exactly. Just like, what, what, what are you doing? So, uh, big, big fan of that. I think it's really cool. Um, and uh, York always seems to be on the forefront of a lot of those things. So I, I think it's a creative idea. Uh, and hopefully the fans love, love the dog. And yeah. I don't know, maybe you could, you could do some fun things with the dog on the field. I'm not sure. Like, is it a dog that's super trained? Or is it like a puppy? I, I'm not sure. But, um, uh, it's a couple months old, I know, and I believe I want to so say it was no. eight months. Yeah, it was eight months old, so and no. they're in the process of training it right now. So, like I said, perhaps next year they could do uh, a lot of stuff with the dog. But uh, for right now, it's not quite. If you want to help name the dog, you can go onto any of the Rev's social media, and then you just kind of either tweet or post or comment uh, what you want the dog's name to be. I believe they narrowed it down to three names. Uh, which you could pick from. So uh, if you're interested in trying to name this dog, you could definitely take advantage of that and go ahead and vote for the name of the dog. But, uh, yep. That said, last piece of just kind of floater news before we get into actual team uh, breakdowns, just kind of off-season recaps for, uh, you know, two, three, four teams. You know, nothing too major on that front. But uh, King County, they're going to be donating all of their 50-50 raffle proceeds to the Ukrainian World Congress. Likewise, the King County Foundation will also match the funds raised. Uh, this, the Ukrainian World uh, Congress provides medical and protective equipment to the Ukraine. Uh, that situation obviously doesn't need much divulging into, seeing as they're currently at war and have been invaded. So it's just kind of a nice, uh, a nice touch there. They're donating what I imagine is a decent, sizable amount of their operating income, or I shouldn't say operating income, but money that they're bringing. And I imagine the 50-50 draws fairly well, especially on a lot of nights. So if they're giving their portion of that, uh, you know, to a charity, it is certainly a nice thing to see. Yeah, it's terrific. Uh, It's it's terrific because obviously the the people in Ukraine need all the help they they can get. Just, Just an awful, awful situation. Uh, over there and just hoping for the best. Uh, but I think anything that, you know, with charity to begin with, as well as, um, hmm. as well as helping, doing anything to help, uh, like the Ukrainian people and, and trying to keep them going, uh, until hopefully the situation is, and this war is resolved soon, uh, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a good thing and, uh, certainly a great move. Yep, absolutely. Definitely agree with that. So, on that news, we will switch back to actual baseball talk by getting in there and breaking down uh, some teams for you. Uh, I'm not sure if you want to start well, if you want me to kick it off, but just, you know, we're just going to generally look through the roster, pull some players out that are of note, and teams that, you know, you're surprised either in a good way or a bad way as to how they're progressing so far. Obviously, you know, it's still early on. We still have about, you know, six weeks to the Atlantic League and about two months on the other leagues. But 
it's still interesting to recap at this point, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, why don't you kick us off, Nick? I'm, I'm interested to hear who your who your first team is. All right, so I'm going to start us off with a team that has been down in the dumps as of recent, uh, but they went through kind of an overhaul in the offseason, bringing on uh, a newer staff. Uh, this is obviously the Gateway Grizzlies. Uh, they brought in Steve Brook. Steve Brook brought in a, a couple of his guys to kind of fill out the staff, Nick Kennedy being the, the main one there. And all in all, I've really liked their offseason so far. They've had some really nice guys. They've brought back a handful of guys and a lot of guys uh, looking at their roster right here, but they bring in a guy like an Augie Vote, who I'm a big fan of. I like him an awful lot there. Same thing with the Stephen Ridings. Those are two guys I really like, but obviously the big centerpiece here on the uh, pitching side is Brendan Feldman, uh, kind of an Atlantic League guy. I've done uh, previews, our player spotlights, or transaction reviews on uh, Feldman before. So I'll kind of save people the redundancy and just kind of go into he's a very solid veteran uh, pitcher. I think he definitely helps solidify uh, this whole lineup here. And I do like what he can bring. There's a handful of other guys. Sam Gardner, who I think is going to be very good. Colton Easterwood is another guy that I think has yet to really hit his potential. Uh, Carter Hayes has been a guy that's shown at times that he really has something there. So I like the pitching staff. I think they're going to be fairly strong there. Uh, they bring in a couple of other guys, a Jackson Picard, who looks interesting, Sonny Alani. Uh, he's a guy that uh, he played for Winnipeg a little bit last year, didn't get in too much, and Hunter Hitsky, who was in the Pioneer League as well. Those are some guys that are a little bit... Uh, a little bit more inexperienced on the frontier level, but they have experience elsewhere, which I'm interested in there. And then when you start looking into the actual position players themselves, there's a lot of guys that I am extremely interested in seeing what they can do. A Brandon Pugue, Isaac Bernard, we know is good, but he's also here, Matt uh, Feinstein. He's another guy that's interesting on the infielder grouping. You have uh, Clint Freeman, who is a Long Island Duck guy. Uh, Jay Prather is a guy that was very good for... The uh, Grizzlies last year, Jose Rosario, similar boat on that front. Andrew uh, Penner, a guy which I really, really liked last year. He split time between Evansville and a little bit in Washington. I thought he was extremely good. Trevor Achenbach is uh, another guy that was very good last year, too. Uh, then there's other guys that are on the inactive or disabled list. Jason Zagowski would be the main one there. But all in all, I really do like how this roster is taking shape early on. I think that they could be a kind of in-the-weeds type contender. I'd like to see it get a little bit more, you know, sorted out here. Obviously, there's a lot of pitchers they have here and a lot of catchers. I mean, you don't need four catchers on your roster. You don't need what looks to be about 15, 16 pitchers here either. So they're going to need to cut down a lot of these guys as well. But in the interim, I really do like what they what they present so far this year. I think they could be and an interesting team to watch. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that especially bringing a guy like Brendan Feldman, I'll put it, I'll put it this way: he obviously had a lot of success in the Frontier League with River City. Yeah. Um, and then I guess you could say in the Atlantic League, he's a bit of a disappointment. A little uh, bit. Just, be, just, just because of you know he had some pretty high expectations. Not, no one thought he's going to have a, a, a sub two ERA the way he did in River City. Uh, however. Uh, you, you, were, you were just thinking that uh, he could he could turn into a potential frontline guy. Maybe not maybe not the year he came over at the end of the year, but the next year. And with seeing him continue to develop, and the Ducks gave him plenty of time. They gave him they gave him two seasons, right? Yeah. Uh, but he just never really developed. Of course, like last year was just weird for pitchers in general. Um, so I thought it, so. He was, I guess, him going back to the Frontier League. I think is going to be. It's going to be good for him, and especially for a team like Gateway, who, I mean, there's no other way to put it. They were they had a terrible year last year, yeah. And uh, they, I think, they're Steve Brook completely revamping that roster and trying to turn things around. It's something you'd like to see there, um, especially with Feldman at the top of that rotation. I think they're definitely on the right track there. A team on on my end of things, and by that I mean the Atlantic League, the Staten Island Fairyhounds. We've talked about them. Um, I'm not seeing what I was, I've been hoping to see from them so far. 
Now, I'll start with the good, because their back end of their bullpen looks really good. Uh, we've talked about Jose Velez, a guy, obviously, in the American Association who's been really good for a few years now. Uh, I'm sure him coming over to the Atlantic League, you would think, especially coming from the left side, is going to be a really good arm for them in the back end of that bullpen, even if he's not the closer, uh, because we thought maybe he's the closer. But then they traded for this guy who... Uh, He'll be the closer, let's just say. And that's yeah. Victor Capion. Yeah. In um, a quote-unquote trade from, from York in exchange to exchange for a player to be named later, uh, Victor Capion, do I need to bring up his resume? Uh, he's uh, w- probably one of, the, one of the greatest indie ball relievers we've ever seen, especially a, um, especially a guy uh, we've talked so much about, the Indie Ball Hall of Fame. The yeah. instant he is done and in, and is eligible for the Indie Ball Hall of Fame, he will be on there. So I, I think this 8-9, at least as it stands now, uh, just Velez and and Capion in the back end of that bullpen, uh, I think they're both guys who are both guys who are, oh, that's a formidable duo for sure. And I'm very interested to see how that turns out. Now, for the rest of the roster. Mm-hmm. Uh it's been underwhelming so far. Uh, you're not seeing a ton of guys from that New York kind of idea there. Um, and kind of that like New York, they're the Mets or the Yankees. And you're seeing some guys like that, but it's just kind of underwhelming. For example, uh, a guy they just signed, Ricardo Cespedes, a center fielder. Yeah. The way I want to bring up the way they advertised it. Because they advertised it essentially as, oh, this guy is a, uh, like, ever since he was signed by the Mets at, at 16 years old, like, he was, he was a top prospect and he was still known as a, as a top prospect moving into like 2017, 18, whatever. And I'm like, all right, guys, that's great. And this was before I even, like, really did my research into him. Yeah. Uh, I was like, okay, I'm like, something seems off here because you didn't mention anything he's actually done on the field and just what, other people think his potential is. And uh, you look at the numbers, you see why. Because he's only, now, listen, he's only 24. So, uh, local guy from the Bronx, certainly a plus there. But, I mean, statistically, <sighs> there's just nothing there. There's just nothing there. Because, I mean, clearly as, as a prospect with the Mets, he, he disappointed big time. Um, and after go, going to the Marlins, he just, there's just not much there. I mean, in in 293 games in six seasons, he has four career homers. Uh, and he's got he can run a little bit uh, on base percentage of 292 for his for his entire minor league career, and that and that's being generous because I'm including his Dominican Summer League and and Abbey yeah. League type numbers. Uh, Obviously, the Atlantic League is not comparable talent-wise to, to the Appy League and the Dominican Summer League. It's not even, it is like worlds above that. And, you know, he's never played above, uh, class A ball. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, and it's not just a, this isn't me just, uh, you know, it, it's a PG-13 podcast. So this mm-hmm. isn't me just being like, Hey, I just want to shit on Ricardo Cespedes. So yeah. that's why that's why I'm bringing up the Staten Island Ferry Hawks. It's just this, these are the type of guys that they're signing, and I just don't really see it out of the side of this back end of this bullpen. I'm not really getting the vibe that Staten Island is going to be that great here early, uh, great early on, just because uh, the bullpen's good. There's not a ton in the lineup. I mean, to be honest with you, Casey Clemens. We've talked about how Clemens is good. He's solid. He's probably, as far as Atlantic League first basemen go, uh, you know, probably maybe a, a, a tick above average, maybe a little bit more to the average side of things. As far as Atlantic League first basemen, obviously, who have, if you look at the numbers on that position, it's a ton. It's a really good offensive position, as it is in most leagues, but especially the Atlantic League. And Clemens is solid. Uh, you know, he's the last name attached to him. Well, uh, yeah. although it, it's just, I don't, I don't see much of anything from this lineup at the moment. I don't, there's not a ton of starting pitching either. It's early. There's a lot of guys they could sign. I just think early on with this roster for Staten Island, I, I'm nervous. I, I don't, I don't see it. I, I'd agree with that too. Obviously a bullpen is important and I'm not going to try and diminish it. 
because I really do like their bullpen. I think of Velez and Cappy on uh, one-two punch. Like you said, it's uh, it's going to be towards the upper echelon of the league. You know, it's hard to find that kind of a, a punch, especially with how difficult pitching was to find uh, last year and in past years. But a bullpen really only begins to matter when a game is still close. So if you're not really scoring runs or your starters aren't really keeping the game close, then it doesn't really matter how good your bullpen is if you're starting to go to them when it's 8 nothing, 6-2. At that point, the game's kind of already out of hand. So, you know, I I'm, I like it. I definitely agree. It's a good thing here, but I, I also agree with you. Well, that it's uh, it seems like they kind of neglected the starting rotation a bit. It seems like they... They haven't really gotten a big reliable piece yet as far as yeah, position at least players early go. On. Yeah, exactly. At least like, early on. Like there's still over a month left. There's about fifty or so days until opening day. So there's still plenty of time to get it. But it is a little bit on the edge of uh at least if you could have a lineup full of like Casey Clemenses, I guess we'll plural it, then you would be all right, you know, you'd have probably about a league average offense, maybe slightly above in some areas and slightly below in other areas. You could probably get by, and then we could talk about how, okay, well, you just need a few starters and then you'll be fine. But uh, right now, it does, it does feel like they need another piece or two. Oh, absolutely, they need, they need another piece. I, I, they need a lot more to this lineup. Yeah. Um. Uh. I, I think that it's early. It's just. I don't, I don't really see it early on. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there were a couple more pieces at this point would have been nice to see, but uh, I guess I'll go with the uh, the second team I have, and I went back and forth between uh, two teams, but in the end, I'm going to stay with the Atlantic League, and I'm going to look at the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs roster. It's still very early on. There's only an outline of it, but I do like bringing a guy like or bringing back a guy like Ruby Silva, uh, Jack Sunberg looked pretty decent last year. Was I believe it was the Boulders, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, all in all, I, I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, Connor Lynn and a, or Lion and, uh, Matt Hibbert are back as well or in there as well. Uh, so they're not terrible options either. Alex Crosby's a nice piece there. Uh, Rita's not terrible either behind the plate. So all in all, that's fine. But I'm literally like looking at this, uh, pitching staff. Dalton Geeky back, Patrick Baker back. Uh, Brincinio's back, Matt Latos is back, Thompson's back, uh, is back. You know, there's a lot of guys here they bring back. It's more or less that. And all in all, I really do like that early on. Of course, like with all the Atlantic League teams, there's still a lot of roster construction that's necessary here. So six pitchers isn't going to quite do it. But I do think there are a lot of pieces here that are very interesting and are fairly good early on here. And I'm interested to see how they're wind up filling this out obviously they did manage to break their drought get back to postseason last year and they were much better last year than in in previous years but uh you're gonna obviously need to fill this out a little bit more and i'm gonna be interested to see if they have any more players returning or if we're gonna get uh even more wholesale change here in uh southern maryland yeah i'm i'm with you i think uh at the end of the day southern maryland is coming off a good year Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly if a, a team that has been looking to come back, go back to the playoffs for a while and just really hadn't, uh, hit that point yet, uh, for them. And I think that, uh, I, I think it was a pretty, it, they're off to a, a solid start. I think that, uh, Southern Maryland is, again, they're trying to look, they're trying to get back to this postseason, uh, to the postseason for the second, second consecutive year. Uh, certainly not going to be easy. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think they're also a solid start. But you know what? Sticking in the Atlantic League, I want to talk about also the defending champions. And that is the Lexington Legends. Because uh, it does not seem that they are content with with one, uh, with uh, just one championship. At the moment, I think their roster looks really good uh, mm-hmm. once again. I think that at least uh, I'd like to see a little bit more in the in the lineup. But you know what? Uh, I initially I was thinking that, and then they signed Jordani Valbuena. Yeah. Uh, and which is a monster signing. I mean, that is a. I don't even think it, it's gotten an, as much like as much love as I think it should have gotten. And whether and 
regardless of what, you know, Somerset Patriots fans or former Somerset Patriots fans think of Jordani Valdespin from his time with the Long Island Ducks, uh, he's a stud. Uh, he's a yeah. stud. Who, and he hasn't really played a ton, uh, kind of just mingling around in winter leagues at this point. Uh, over the last few years, certainly COVID has a lot to do with that. But let's look back to his last season in the States, 2019, uh, with the, with Roche- the Rochester Red Wings AAA affiliate at the time of the Twins. Uh, he had a great year uh, in 60 games, nearly hit 300. Um, not a ton of power, but 295, seven home runs, an OPS of around 790. I mean, for a guy like Jordani Valdespin, of course, coming off a, a year where he won the Atlantic League Player of the Year uh, with the Ducks the year, the year prior, uh, I think Lexington being able to bring him back, and I, I know he's 34, um, and it's been a little bit since that Ducks season that he had that was so good, but I think it, it is a, it was a really, really strong signing uh, for, for Lexington. Uh, a, they're clearly not afraid to reach out to people and, and trying to bring them back. Uh, so I think the Jordani Valdespin, the Jordani Valdespin, uh, addition, at least recently, has been really good for them. Uh, it, it's gonna add a lot to that lineup, um, to make, because of course that lineup last year totally smashed. Uh, yeah. it was a great, great lineup and, uh, I, I'm very, very interested. Uh, to see if he can continue that time. Also, let, let's keep let's keep talking about this lineup as well. Uh, Isaias Tejeda. I mean, do, do, I mean, if you're an Atlantic League fan, you know the name. Everybody get him from York. He's been one of the best hitters I think in the last decade in the Atlantic League. Personally, I, yeah. I, I think he, I think he's that good. Um, I mean, Tejeda. He won the batting title in 2019. Uh, with York, he spent a lot of time in Mexico as well. I mean, Isaias Tejeda is just one of the best hitters. I think that uh, the, I think he's had the he's one of the best hitters the Atlantic League seen in, in quite a while. And for and for the legends to bring him in, I mean, it makes a formidable duo. Uh, still, again, still early as far as their roster construction. Not trying to draw too many conclusions. Uh, too many conclusions early on. Uh, however, I think early on, just looking at the core of this roster, uh, I think it's been, I think it's really strong, uh, a really strong group that uh, I think the fans should be excited about. I'd agree with that. Even Wild Health, uh, that's sharing the ballpark with them too, has a lot of really strong signings as well. Uh, but as far as Lexington goes themselves, it is a team that's pretty stacked again. I almost didn't want to mention them just because of the fact that if when you look at the roster, there's just a, a new guy every time. There's a new addition there, and they're just so good that, again, they're expected to be at the top here, and I'll be interested to see if they can't, uh, if they can't manage to repeat again as champions. But I agree with everything you said, Will. It seems like everywhere on their roster has at least one solid player and just adding in a guy like a Jordani Valdespin, it's just really hammering that point home that they are going to be contenders. They're going to be here and they're going to be, uh, they're going to be a problem for a lot of teams, especially in that South division this season. So, uh, I'm not sure about you, but I got one other team that I do really want to cover. So I'm going to just kind of go through them very quickly here. Sure. Go ahead. And that is the Ottawa Titans, the newest team in indie ball, if you, if you would go that far to say. Uh, they got some very interesting guys here. Uh, Jack Alcari, uh, or Alcar as, uh, is a guy that's of note. Uh, Tanner Cable's a guy that was very good between Gary and Schaumburg. Uh, so I'm interested to see how he does here. Um, they got a slew of other guys. Uh, Tyler Jordan, I think is an interesting addition. Gavin Sonier is another guy that's very cool. I like him. I like Zach Westcott in that lineup a lot as well. Uh, as far as position players go, uh, that's where it gets a little bit more touch and go. A guy like a Jackie Urbias, we know what he can do. Just look at last year in Sussex County and you'll, you'll see. Uh, so he's a, a solid addition there. There's a few other guys that are in there, but no one really, I think, that I need to mention. But all in all, except for, of course, uh, Sick Narf Loopstock which just has to be mentioned because of the name alone. Uh, but 
all in all, it's a surprisingly interesting team. They have a former American Association Manager of the Year and Bobby Brown at the helm. Obviously, there's some flux there with the major, I guess, coaching switch uh, coming into 2020. So I'm going to be interested to see how this lineup produces. All in all, it does seem like it's a pitch-first team, bat-second type of team. So I'll be very curious to see how this all winds up working out. But early on, it does seem like an interesting lineup. Yeah, I, I think interesting is a good way to describe it, uh, just because it, it does seem like a pitch. Ottawa does seem like a pitch first team. Um, and I mean, just, just for the record, like how, I mean, it's so great to see bas- uh, baseball back in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because just with the pandemic and, and everything, it, it's, it's been a while. So really cool to see baseball back in Ottawa. And, uh, uh, you're right. I think the roster is off to a, to a decent start for them, especially especially with that pitching staff. Absolutely, there. So I'm not sure if you have a third team or if uh, you just have the two, but uh, that's kind um, of. I, I think I think just one other, maybe not so much a team. Yeah. Uh, but but like more of a, a player uh, signing that that I that I was a big fan of. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I'd have to say. Uh, Mark Zagunis that uh, yeah. that the Barnstormers brought in. I, I think I believe just yesterday uh, was the uh, was this the announcement of that signing. But I mean, Mark Zagunis is a guy who's who's been in the MLB as recently as, as 2019. Uh, hmm. So he, he's a certainly an interesting signing there. I mean, he played 30 games in 2019 with the Cubs. Uh, kind of mixed results. As you would as you would probably expect, uh, probably more of a pinch hit role uh, coming off the bench. So uh, I think it's a really exciting signing, especially for a team like uh, like the Barnstormers. You have a, a, a certainly a hitter friendly park, uh, but Zagunis has had success at the AAA level. I mean, even in 2019, he hasn't played uh, since then. But uh, in 2019, 68 games, he hit two 294. Uh, six home runs at o- OPS of around 835. So uh, I think a really good signing for the Barnstormers, especially in that park. You would think the power numbers tick up a little bit. Uh, but I think Zagunas is a really good signing for them. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Obviously, anytime you have major league talent, especially recent major league talent, um, it's going to help out. Like you mentioned with the ballpark factors, he could be a very uh, interesting and productive player to watch there. So uh, obviously, there's a lot of... Uh, teams in indie ball this year that look interesting so far uh, i think that kind of brings us to the end of this week's show obviously you could tell it's one of those uh dog days of the off season type show but there soon enough we will have tryouts we'll have drafts we'll have actual baseball before you know it so uh we'll see where that takes us but uh, at this point if you want to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. If you want to follow on Instagram, you could do so at IndieBallReport and at AOPV underscore news. Uh, of course, you could also go to the website where um, you can find the show notes. You can find the uh, interview with TJ Zerwitz, the, I guess, full-time bench coach and director of player development for the Lincoln Salt Dogs uh, before he held those titles also on the website as well underneath the episodes and interview subtitle. Uh, so there's that and links to everything, of course, in the show notes on the website as well. And you'll find our Indie Ball Hall of Fame. You may have heard that mentioned this week. Uh, the ballot just went up a few days ago while you're listening to this. So be sure to head over there and then go to Hall of Fame and then click the link to vote for your, uh, I suppose, preferred candidates to enter the Indie Ball Hall of Fame. If you want more information on that, uh, go to, wasn't last week, I don't believe, I believe it was two weeks ago show uh, for more information on that front there. I'm thinking we leave the ballot open till say, the end of the month, and then we announce uh, sure. whoever uh, managed to get in, say, the around opening day. I think that'd be a pretty cool thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so you got till... April the 1st to vote on that poll. So, uh, be sure to get at it. We'll have, you'll have about a month to take advantage of that. Uh, so with that said, you can also find the show just about wherever you find podcasts, uh, TuneIn Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, uh, Google Podcast, uh, Apple Podcast. Like I said, just about anywhere you can find it. Rate and review if you can. Subscribe if you can. Uh, so, 
to help the show grow and so you don't miss any episodes with that said do we have anything else left to add this week um the thing i have to add this week it's rather quick uh but champ week college basketball really yeah. cool uh very excited for that uh, very excited for the conclusion of that this week and selection sunday and the Rutgers Scarlet Knights at this point, barring any sort of catastrophe uh, or the committee being brain dead, should be in the NCAA tournament for the second time for the second year in a row. And if the pandemic uh, didn't screw it up, they would have been it would have been three times in three years. Steve Peichel just got a huge extension, uh, as he should, and raise more importantly for me, raising the, buy, the contract buyout to fifteen million dollars, so none of the blue bloods uh, can get in there. And try and uh, try and steal Steve Peichel away from Rutgers with their lots of cash. So uh, that that is certainly a good thing for me, uh, especially as someone who watched Rutgers, watched the really terrible years of Rutgers, and uh, it, it, it it's not something I take for granted uh, getting a chance to watch them in the uh, in the NCAA tournament. Uh, again, like I mean, I've I've seen like the Eddie Jordan years of Rutgers winning like. Like two or three conference games a year. I remember the year they played. It was the one year they were in the American Athletic, playing Louisville in the conference tournament. The year that Louisville ended up winning the uh, national championship that since has been quote unquote vacated. In which a weird process where the NCAA says that you a championship that you won and already celebrated didn't actually happen, uh, which is an interesting thing to me. But uh, regardless, uh, in that games. They lost by uh, they lost by around I think it was like 55 points or something like that. Uh, they lost it was like 50 points something like that. But uh, it was just terrible. Uh, and since then the program's changed around. So I don't take for granted uh, getting to the NCAA tournament two times in the last two years. It's been really fun. Can't wait to see what this team does in their last ride uh, with the seniors Geo Baker, Ron Harper, uh, as well. Ah. Uh. What I'm taking from this here is that we should be doing a bracket challenge. Mm, that's not a bad idea, actually. Want to do the official NCAA app one or uh, ESPN one? Ooh. Uh, ESPN. ESPN, all right. Tournament challenge. All right, I'll set that one up. And hell, I'll make the, the group public so anyone that's listening that wants to join can join. We'll see who has the best bracket among the, uh, okay. the NCAA... Uh, higher up are the indie ball report higher up and the indie ball listener group i think that'd be kind of fun to do yeah i i would be totally down for that i I love that idea all right then we'll do that i'll set that up and then that'll be available uh probably by the time you're listening to this so keep an eye out for that as well as far as things to add um i don't really have too much to add uh, by the time you're listening to this, we'll be about a week away from, I guess, the NHL trade deadline. So I'm just kind of hoping that um, we have some action, some movement. All reports look like it's going to be kind of quiet, maybe just one or two trades. I pray to God that's not it. I really like trade deadline day. I think it's fun. It obviously hasn't been the same since the salary cap came into effect because it kind of caps, you know, the fun trades you can make. But every once in a while, you get some crazy stuff. Hopefully, it's just not a totally boring year. Uh, but all in all, uh, hopefully, it'll be entertaining. That's coming up. And uh, yeah, hopefully, in a week from now, I'm not here to bitch about how Duke disappointed me because they've already done that once this week, almost twice this week. And we're still, there's still a very high possibility it'll be twice this week. So uh, let me just at. say this, Nick. Let yes. me, as, as someone who's, uh, of course, at. Uh, Covering the ACC tournament this mm-hmm. week, uh, I re- can I, I will say, and I don't particularly like Duke. I don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I find them to be quite annoying. I find their fans to be annoying. Whatever. At the same time, God, if they if I if I can be there for a Duke UNC ACC final, how like that is something that I never thought I would be able to attend like a Duke UNC game, and. And yeah, of course, yeah. it's not in Chapel Hill. It's not at Cameron Indoor, so you could argue it's not the same, whatever. Yeah, but but it's still Duke, it would UNC. be so amazing to to possibly be in be in person to watch a Duke UNC game and something I never thought I'd be able to do. So, so uh, selfishly, so selfishly, I'm kind of hoping for that 
uh, Duke UNC is the championship game tonight as you're listening to it. However, if it's not and it's Miami Virginia Tech, feel free to make fun of me as well uh, because uh, we'll find out uh, Friday night, which will be last night. So if you're listening to it, you will already know who's in the ACC final, and I do not. So what if it's Duke and Virginia Tech? I actually kind of Virginia Tech has been a team I actually like. Like watching, yeah. I like watching them play, so I wouldn't mind it. All right, but the important thing to gather from that last little bit there was, if for only a temporary moment, you're part of the Brotherhood of Duke. Oh, stop it! Cut the crap. <laughs> no, that's that's what I hear. I hear that I you want Duke don't, UNC. Don't, so don't, no, don't 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 start with this Brotherhood crap. <laughs> Like, like I'm, like I'm in some damn frat. Like, no, it's not really a frat. It's more you Duke, of a, you Duke fans are so weird. Like, no, <laughs> I'm just saying, the Duke way has managed to win five national championships. So I don't, I don't doubt that. I, I don't doubt any of that. It's not weird if it works, and it clearly works. Okay, I'm just saying. Alright, look, we're at the point where if we don't make an Elite Eight, it's a failure of a year no matter what. And particularly with this group, I kind of expect the Final Four, there's enough talent here where you should be through the first two rounds on talent alone. But, I remember uh, that. But, uh, you know, when it comes to Duke basketball, I've learned that the worst seed to be is a two seed. You don't want that. Anything else just seem pretty safe. The two seed's <laughs> always a risk. But <laughs> that is true. Plus, I don't know a more long-suffering college basketball fraternity or a fan base than Duke. We've gone so long without winning a national championship. It's just unbearable. Uh, Seven years. I'm Can you so believe sorry. that? Seven long years. It, it's awful. Just awful. I'm 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 praying for you every day, Nick. It is a struggle. It's a struggle. Every day is a new challenge and a new struggle. <laughs> and you say you're okay, but you're not okay. Right? Because you're, you're watching not okay. You're watching a team that should be blowing Syracuse out of the water, yet some for some reason Syracuse has not been blown out of the water until the last like thirty seconds of a game. And you're just thinking this is completely and utterly unacceptable. Yeah. But We'll see how that tournament works out. We'll have a bracket challenge up fairly soon, and hopefully we'll have a Duke-UNC uh, ACC final that winds up with Duke taking the season series 2-1. to one. But uh, we won't know that until next time, and until next time, don't forget to play ball. <laughs>